Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees and anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, I'm one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and I'm one of the founders of Dragon Bites. This week we're going to go back to our out of program experience series. This is a series of episodes in which we discuss out of program experiences that trainees have had that might be worth knowing about if you're thinking of going on one too. I was lucky enough to catch up with Dr. Sean Williams, a paediatric registrar based in Wales, who told me about her time as a teaching fellow based in the University Hospital of Wales in Cardiff. Anyway, let's get started. Hi everyone, I'm Asim. I'm one of the presenters for Dragon Bites and I'm delighted today to be joined by Sean Williams. Hi Sean. Hello Asim. So Sean, you're one of our currently out of programme trainees here mm. in Wales. Um, I just wondered if you could tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Can you sure. tell us a bit about your career to date? Sure, yeah. So up until last year, I hadn't taken any time off the conveyor belt. I sort of just went to school, went to university, went straight through the foundation programme and then went into paediatrics and took a very conventional route. Um, So I finished ST4 in 2020 and then I started an out of programme as a clinical teaching fellow. I believe I'm here to talk to you today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, before we get to that, mm. what was it that drew you to paediatrics in the first place? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I have an official answer and an unofficial answer. Okay. <laughs> um, truly, truly, honestly, um, it was a process of an elimination. But then I did a paediatric placement um, in F2, which actually I, I'll happily say it was in Gloucester Royal. It was fantastic. Mm. Um, and that made me consider paediatrics as a career. Mm. And then I thought, well, why not paediatrics? Because actually you've got, as cheesy as it sounds, you have the best of everything. You have, you know, the, the acute stuff where you, you, know, you see an emergency and you can, you know, the, the really cool stuff, the stuff that you like, the Aston, you know, like the really cool stuff that you can like fix there and then. And it's, you get that adrenaline buzz, but you also have the, the longer term stuff where you actually get to know the families and have a more, I appreciate you have a holistic approach in A&E, but you know, you have a longer time to build up relationships and have a more of a holistic approach. Um, and then, you know, you've got every single subspecialty within paediatrics again. And, um, and that's great. And I also quite like about paediatrics is that you can have a child who's very, very sick on one day, goes to intensive care, discharge, from intensive care a few days later onto the ward a couple of days after that and then they're home sometimes yeah. if you're lucky whilst you have that in adults times by i don't know five months mm. right <laughs> yeah yeah the fast turnaround time is phenomenal it, yeah it can be which um yeah so why not paediatrics eh? <laughs> is that your official answer or your unofficial answer uh my unofficial answer was the process of elimination one <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think that's a reasonable enough reason to go into peds, right? That you eliminated everything else and then you were, oh, peds is the one for me, but then actually just actually, enjoying peds. Yeah, the, the, the enjoyment I get from peds is actually genuine. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about paediatrics before paediatrics through my process of elimination. Mm. And then after doing it, I thought, actually, yeah, this is awesome. Nice. Oh, yeah. cool. 
So um, we're here to talk about that fellowship that you mentioned today. So mm-hmm. can you tell? Can you first just tell us a little bit about what this fellowship is and where it was based? Yeah. So um, it's a clinical teaching fellow post. So loads exist. Uh, the one that I did was in Cardiff, so in University Hospital of Wales, and my role was predominantly to help. Um, organise and facilitate much of the undergraduate paediatric curriculum mm-hmm. um, and the large largest proportion of the work was doing that within the undergraduate year four paediatric placements but it also led on to lots of other things such as helping with um, being an examiner whether they're mock or actual exams um, helping you actually in, in your simulation yeah. simulations for the undergrads um, and then that was 50% of the time. Actually, I was also 50% clinical. Mm. Um, and I did have a choice whether I was going to be out of programme or not. Mm. Um, and I actually elected to be out of programme. And that allowed me to explore my clinical areas of interest as well. Oh, cool. So um, I, I should point out at this stage that we're talking about Cardiff University. Those are the undergraduate yes. students that we're, yeah. we're talking about. Um, so... Um, what was it that drew you to this fellowship? Why did you want to do it in the first place? Well, I a common theme ever since graduating from uni has been that I've really enjoyed um, medical education and I sort of fell into it actually, to be honest, to start with. I think, you know, some medical students arrived on the ward when I was an F1 and although it was a struggle and it often still is a struggle to balance you know good quality teaching with clinical work mm. um i really you know i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed sort of paying forward the good teaching that i'd had at university and also uh providing what i think i would have found useful if i maybe didn't have when i was at university as well and so i fell into it and then just got involved in more and more things. So I sort of um, I helped with the clinical exam teaching program in Wales, amongst other things. But I realised that I didn't, that was all very extracurricular. Um, and I hadn't had any time to sort of refine my teaching approach. Mm-hmm. Definitely had not had any formal coaching or teaching in medical education. And so this was a really useful way to get that and actually dedicate 50% of my professional time to teaching and learn more about how to do it properly. Um, And then why else did I do it? Well, (coughs) I like the fact that it was 50% clinical because although it is nice to have a a step off that conveyor belt, I I genuinely do love clinical work. Mm. And so I appreciated being able to do that, but also being able to do do work in an area that really interested me so obviously with training you have to fulfill certain requirements but I was able to spend a little bit longer in areas that I enjoyed and what were those areas oh. I feel like you've hinted at this a few <laughs> times now it's too late so um I am a big fan of respiratory medicine but I had a six-month placement in PICU from March to August, March to September 2020. And of course, we'll all remember that actually things weren't that busy. So my exposure to intensive care medicine was very little, despite Mm. being full time. Mm. Um, So I wanted to get more experience. And I think 
respiratory and intensive care medicine tie in quite well with mm. each other. They, you know, you've got that mixture of high acuity stuff and chronic stuff that yeah. I've already talked to you about. And yeah, um, yeah it's just a good way to gain more experience there. Mm. Um, I also did general paediatrics as well for six months whilst I was doing the clinical teaching fellow post. Yeah. Oh, fab. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I'm just going to openly acknowledge at this stage that it is raining outside while we're recording <laughs> this, and that's almost certainly going to be picked up on the podcast so apologies to everyone listening but it's quite a nice rain sound we have here this is the benefit of um what are they called ballots windows some what they called i can't remember um i didn't know if i'm going to just ask you this sean just because i know you well so i remember because because we worked together for most of the early parts of like the junior parts of our training yeah we did st1 and st2 together yeah and sort of worked alongside each other during ST3. I can't remember. So anyway, we spent a yeah. lot, we spent a lot of time working yeah. with each other. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> thanks. Um, but I remember one of the worries you had was that you were rushing through the program too quickly. I don't know if that mm. factored into any of this. Oh, absolutely. I think you know. There's. <laughs> it certainly would be the elephant in the room, and I would be lying if some of you know some of the benefits of taking and out of program year to explore other interests doesn't also help with sort of taking the foot off the pedal. You can sort of look back and think, what well, hang on, what is it I want out of my career? Mm. Um, and take a bit more control in a way because yeah, I keep referring to it as a conveyor belt because I, it can be, because if you just mm. jump through the hoops, you know, you, sp- you're sp- you spit out the other end and, and possibly I was worried about going into a specialty that perhaps isn't the one for me. Um, so I have found that really helpful to be able to take that time. Um, and the other thing is it has, it was a bit of a relief from clinical work. I'd come mm. from a very, very busy job mm. um, where I probably was a little bit burnt out. Um, and so be able to um, work 50% clinical, 50% in the teaching area, I actually rediscovered my enthusiasm for medicine which sounds a bit dramatic but it's how I felt at the time. I don't think you're alone in that a lot of the people I've spoken to who've taken their foot off the pedal just Mm. briefly to use your analogy have said the same sort of thing it just gives them the room they need to rediscover the passion they used to have. Yeah and actually meant that I would genuinely look forward to going to work to do um, my clinical shifts then which I have to say towards the end of the previous placement I just was exhausted and a little bit fearful <laughs> to work at times. Yeah, but um, we've all been there. Yeah. If we're really honest, I mean, that's mm. one of the downsides of the training programme because mm. we've got, it's not just the clinical work, we've mm. got all our training expectations on of top course. of us as well. Yeah. Um, and just having a breather, I think mm. we can all understand that that, yeah. that would be a welcome relief. Mm. And although I have to say it wasn't a relaxing year because, you know, you'll know that medical education is quite stressful and I probably almost did more work in my spare time because I overthink things and maybe over prepare for teaching sessions but I I am a bit of a perfectionist from that point of view so I would spend hours in my own time doing it mm. but I sort of didn't mind just because it was different um, and I really really enjoyed it and having half of my life in based in medical education and the other half in clinical was enough of a change for me to you know really enjoy my job. Oh, that's really good. And as you brought it up, I think that's a really useful segue into the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which was what what did that year involve? So if we just focus perhaps 
to begin with mm. on the sort of teaching medical education mm. aspect of it. I think you've mentioned a few things, yeah. but on a day-to-day basis, you know, not not literally all 365 <laughs> of the days, but just in general, what 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 was your week like? What were, what were your expectations over the course of, of the year? So um, it depended on which group of students were there. Uh, if it was fourth years, then they would have certain requirements week on week, so they'd have general paediatrics on one week, neonates on another week, community paediatrics, etc. And they'd all sort of rotate round. Mm. Um, I would have a, a smaller group that were my group that I would mentor, if you like, mm. um, and they were my tutor group. And so I would be on hand whenever they wanted, really, mm. if they had any questions or any bedside teaching. I would do routine bedside teaching um, for groups of three people, um, five four times a week. Um, there were lectures that had to be delivered. As much as I dislike giving lectures, they just <laughs> had to be. And that is the nature of having a very broad curriculum that you have to deliver in a short period of time. There's a lot of stuff to cover. So I delivered them. Um, there were mock ISKI examinations. Um, and then, of course, there were elective students, Erasmus students, um, students undertaking student selected components, um, and a physician associate students. So actually, they were quite new in paediatrics the year that I was doing my placement. So I created their um, placement, basically. Um, so a lot of it was organisational, but there was um, a lot of teaching involved as well. The other really good thing was that it meant that I could explore my own sort of um, interests in terms of, um, you know, got to learn a little bit more about simulation. I had very little experience in simulation, which I think is an art in itself. Mm. Um, and um, I started doing some work where we had a support group every week for international doctors as well, which didn't really fall into the teaching remit, but it meant that I actually had the time to do that and, and do it properly. Mm. And uh, yeah, so that's basically what I did on a week weekly basis so that's uh, that's really interesting i suppose it gave you that chance to explore simulation for mm. for one example i suppose the, the the question that naturally leads on from that is what have you taken away from the year what are the things that you got to explore mm. and develop that that you wouldn't have otherwise had well i think i have uh, discovered more things that i don't know from the year <laughs> i think you know, it's that saying of you don't know what you don't know. And actually now I do know what I don't know to some extent. <laughs> and it's led me on to exploring other things. So mm. when we talk about simulation, for example, I had a, the, my biggest focus was often on setting it up, delivering the simulation. But now I am conscious that my I, I need to work on my ability to debrief following simulation, for example, and then looking into ways into how I can improve that. Um, what else have I taken away from it? I think having a, what we haven't talked about yet is actually I had the opportunity to do a, a postgraduate certificate in medical education, mm. which was great. Um, so I have a foundation in terms of the educational theories behind medical education, yeah. um, which is really useful. And you did that alongside the job? Yes. So did you get to put any of the stuff that you were learning there into practice while you were doing the job? Yes and no. Um, 
Well, yes, actually, I did. Um, I'm trying to think of an example now. I think we, we did a whole module on feedback, for example, mm-hmm. um, which again ties in with a debrief thing in a way. Um, and I found that sort of actually thinking about the way that I deliver feedback, making sure that you know it is motivating and not actually doesn't knock people's confidence, but also, unlike what I'm doing now, not being the person doing all the talking. And I'm, I found it really useful to learn about that and then put that into practice. Um, the thing that I would have really appreciated, which I did seek when I was doing the doing the year, but. It's always helpful if you can always find another person to watch you deliver feedback. So mm-hmm. this, um, the postgraduate certificate was all, um, what's the term, virtual. virtual. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it wasn't face-to-face. We didn't get to practice much in a safe space there. So it was really, I'd take the information and just use it in my own practice. Mm-hmm. So it would have been useful to have more feedback on my own feedback giving which I was able to do just from colleagues I was working with. Yeah. Um, but to have feedback from educationalists, that would have been really useful. I say that, though. though we were given the opportunity to film ourselves mm. giving feedback, um, and, then a coll- and then a fellow student would also comment on that, which was useful. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, you, you took away... You, essentially, you learnt the things that you needed to learn more about to become an effective educator? Is that a, a fair summary? Yeah, I have to say, I don't think I have nailed it yet. <laughs> um, but I'm getting there. I've, I have a greater understanding mm. and know what I need to work on. Yeah, I think it's much like clinical practice, isn't it? Like we don't ever completely nail oh, it. No. <laughs> you never, medical education completed it. Yeah, <laughs> done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thinking back over the year, what was your favourite part? Oh, that's a great question. Um, what was my favourite part? Oh, I'm going to sound really cheesy, but I, I really enjoyed getting to know the students. Um, yeah, I just... Uh, I really enjoyed um, supporting the students and... Um, I don't know how to phrase this without it sounding unprofessional, so you might have to edit that. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's, that's what this is all here for. Um, I think having the opportunity to spend time with medical students and enthuse them, especially at a time when COVID was a huge problem and really affecting their clinical placements, actually. I put a lot of work and time into trying to get round those issues mm. and get, providing them a quality experience. So, you know, I enjoyed that and I, you know, I'll, I'll do anything for praise. And actually getting good <laughs> feedback and hearing that people was, you know, they might have just been saying this to me, but seriously considering doing paediatrics as a result was um, very, um, what's the word? Uh, um, rewarding. Rewarding, that's it. <laughs> It was very rewarding. <laughs> I, I only, I, I don't, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, um, but uh, the only reason I say that is I don't. We we come back across that as a common theme on Dragon Bites is that for a lot of us who are currently paediatricians, mm. um, the time when we developed our love for paediatrics was during our medical student placement. Mm. So having someone like you, who 
has a passion for it, but is also really passionate about taking care of the medical students was probably, mm. I'd, I can imagine that being a very positive experience for the students who were lucky enough to have you as a, <laughs> as a very kind. teacher. For I you. mean, if there are any medical students listening, <laughs> you may disagree, but I did try really hard. I think the other thing that you don't think of when you become an educator, if you like, is that you actually have a, a large role from a pastoral point of view. Mm. You have a, a duty to make sure that they are able to sort of work and study safely and comfortably and um, you know it's easy to say I'm purely there to teach and nothing more and to some extent you are and you have to stay professional but mm -hmm. you do have a duty to sort of make sure that everything's okay yeah. because often there's nobody else looking out for students um, and so um, it was you know it was a new aspect for me sort of that pastoral side of things as well yeah that's interesting. I take it that was probably more in an unofficial capacity. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah it was not part of the job description. <laughs> but I think it is sort of an unspoken part of the job description as well. I think if you do sign up to become a teacher at the university, for example, you know, we all have, you know, for example, we, we all have a duty to safeguard our patients. You know, we have a duty to safeguard everybody, really, mm. don't we? So we need to make sure that everybody's able to sort of work safely and effectively. Um, so thinking on from that, um, were there any challenges that you faced unexpectedly over the course of the year? Well, I think this is probably a common theme in your podcasts at the moment, mm. but COVID. COVID. <laughs> well, COVID was a challenge. That bugger. Oh, God. Um, and, you know, by this point, rules are were changing all the time you know you could meet face to face you couldn't meet face to face you could have 10 people in a room you could only have three people in a room depending on the room size it just added a whole new level of logistics that were changing all the time and i've already mentioned to you that i don't really like delivering lectures taking that dislike and then having to deliver them online mm was like putting forks in my eyeballs, I'll be honest. Oh God. <laughs> intense, intense. Well, okay, it wasn't that bad, but I just was conscious that, you know, having, sitting at home, potentially with a dodgy internet connection, because we've all been students and, you know, it, it's often not reliable. You're often freezing because you, you can't afford to put the heating on. <laughs> like, I might not have their full attention. Hmm. And so you then have to try and find a way to adapt your teaching to make it as engaging as possible whilst being virtual which was a challenge i found mentimeter very useful um if people haven't seen that before it's it's a way of it's sort of a quiz platform yeah. maybe um and you can ask answers via um via it and people can interact that way um, because i find that people don't often like to talk on virtual platforms mm -hmm. unless it's a very very small group where people know each other people are often afraid to pipe up yeah i find that people often use the chat function quite willingly mm -hmm. um and i found that i couldn't i didn't couldn't really force people to put their cameras on so it's actually quite off-putting as a as a teacher then to just see a sea of boxes and yeah. nothing else just talking into the void yeah i mean i do that often anyway <laughs> i think but so that was a challenge um, and that was probably the main challenge and then you know organizing for people to go onto the wards thankfully pediatric wards were a bit quieter mm. but i then needed to sort of um, bolster 
their experiences by you know either doing um, some simulation with them or um, just doing a sit down tutorial um, where we would discuss scenarios where normally they'd actually be able to see it firsthand which is certainly more valuable but you know just trying to get around those barriers was an issue yeah I can imagine I think it was a learning curve for us all though absolutely to be fair. yeah I'm still not sure we've nailed it <laughs> no no but luckily we're getting things face to face again now which is lovely isn't it well I would say that you know we have learned an awful lot and there's I think that virtual learning is useful particularly when, you know, from a sustainability point of view, you know, mm. you don't have to travel anywhere. Um, it improves accessibility to teaching. You know, if you're, for example, um, if you're a Welsh trainee and you're in North Wales and you want to access South Wales teaching because you're on a study day and you've got nothing else to do, that's brilliant. Mm. So there are, there have been benefits to it as well. Yeah. I don't want to be all doom and gloom. No, no, not at all. Um, I suppose another aspect of your, your role in the fellowship that people considering this fellowship might wonder about is what were what were the clinical expectations for you because half your job was clinical what were mm. you doing during your clinical time so i was essentially doing what i would have done um, or acting at a level that i would have done had i continued training so i had finished sd4 so i was on the registrar rotor mm. and my clinical expectations were the same as any other registrar i um and which field were you working in? So for six months I was in general paediatrics and mm. the other six months I was in paediatric intensive care mm. in Cardiff. Um, I continued with my Kaizen portfolio, <laughs> somewhat patchily at times, but I did, you know, every now and then submit things and I would complete the educational supervisor reports and things just to keep my hand in there. Mm. Um, but I think, as with many things, you, you get out of it what you put in and so I was expected to work competently as a registrar um, but I didn't have to jump the hoop the hoops that you have to in training necessarily mm. but I chose to just just to just for fun just for fun just for fun fair <laughs> enough well um so I suppose given that you are on a tier two rotor I'm guessing this fellowship is aimed at a tier two level so registrar level well, I actually don't know. I think it is, and I don't want to speak for um, uh, whoever. Uh, who was the recruiting person? Anyway, I don't want to speak for on behalf uh, on, of on behalf of the people recruiting for this teaching fellow post. Um, but I think it's probably better to be tier two and above because obviously you have that little bit more experience. And I think all the people who I know done this fellowship to date have been tier mm. two level um who, who do you think should be considering this fellowship oh anyone to be honest i mean we've just talked about you should be tier two mm. i mean you know it's always good to plan even if you're more junior there's always um out of program or um, teaching fellowships regardless of what stage of training that you're in that can be appropriate for you um for me i chose to do it because I wanted to be able to dedicate time that wasn't necessarily outside of my work time mm. to teaching. But I also did it because I wanted to get better. So you don't have to be, I, I'd personally say, even if you don't think you're very good at teaching, I'd apply it because it's <laughs> a good way to get better. Yeah. Um, 
So I'd say, yeah, anybody who's interested in medical education, anyone who thinks that maybe they're not very good at teaching and need to get a bit better, um, because it is part of our roles as doctors anyway. Um, and, you know, there are loads of reasons why you might want to do an out-of-programme year, um, but it does, it it honestly does buy you time to think about what you want to do in life mm-hmm. um, and allows you to explore other aspects that possibly you wouldn't have the opportunity to do in training. Wow. Yeah. Um, as someone who's done, who's now onto their second out of programme experience, um, so probably... Opia. Yeah, I, I yeah. apologise to my TPD. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, uh, so, um, presumably doesn't have too negative an opinion of UPs. Um, why, why do you think the trainees should consider out-of-programme experiences? Well, again, I don't want to speak for my um, TPD. <laughs> I actually can't remember what TPD stands for. Training Programme Director. That's it, yeah, you did just <laughs> say that. Um, so I'm not sure, I don't want to set a precedent, so <laughs> um, I'm not sure whether it is frowned upon or not. But I think you have to do, if you are doing an UP, or an OOP of any kind, you know, that it's important to point out that there's loads of different kinds of out-of-programme experiences that you can have, whether it's a research one or there's an OOPC, I can't remember what that is, but there are all sorts. <laughs> Since pulling a face off, please don't bring it up because I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think, you know, you have to have a genuine reason for wanting to do it. You can't just say, well, maybe you can, but you probably should have an objective um whether that be to you know some people go and travel and you know um learn more about you know healthcare and the global health yeah Yeah. or there's a particular piece of research that you'd like to do or you want to do um an up because you know you want to work in a transplant center for example and you don't have one in the deanery that you work in um and so it just i think it's a you're able to broaden your horizons if you like not to sound too cliched um what was the question again who should consider it yeah, oh yeah why should, why should people why should cons- you? consider yeah so if you're yeah if, if you feel that you're you want to get something else out of your training that you don't think your training program can offer as it is without some time out then yeah you should consider it yeah um, and for what it's worth, I think with Shape of Training coming in, um, the the college, uh, perhaps, I don't think it's unfair to say they're becoming a bit more lenient and a bit more encouraging about programme experiences as well. Um, there's going to be like a natural break between level one and level two training or whatever the correct term is for that now. Mm. Um, but we'll, um, we'll, we'll save that for a future podcast <laughs> to explain. Right. Um, so any final thoughts? Um, Sean, anything we haven't really had a chance to speak about that you want to air? Any grievances you want to air right now? <laughs> it's probably best not to do that on a podcast. Um, I'll leave that for my own time. Um, but in terms of the year, I really enjoyed it. I think what I haven't really stressed enough is that it was fantastic for my well-being as well. Although I was still on the full on-call rotor, mm. um, and, and I've already mentioned that I felt a little bit burnt out before leaving my previous post. Um, it, it did give me a bit more time. Um, although, 
you know, my days were fairly structured when I was clinical. Actually, I was in charge of, although I was very busy, I was in charge of my time from the medical education side of things. Mm. Um, and that was, that was a relief for me. And I think, you know, you don't underestimate that. And I think that's something that our programme experiences can help with, um, whilst also being very educationally beneficial. I don't think I have anything particularly profound to say. I think you've been profound enough. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks, Asim. <laughs> Fab. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time, Sean. I'm going to call it there. <laughs> yeah, all right then. Thank you, Asim. Thanks. Bye. 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 And I just wanted to say thank you to Sean for recording that episode for us. Join us again next week where we'll have an episode of Dragon Bites Basics for you. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.